Hey there, I'm Joanne Tambrakis, and this is Marketing, Mindfulness, and Martinis. Unfiltered conversations, or as I like to say, opinions shaken, not stirred, on what's changing and what's not in business and in life as we enter into the next normal. So pour yourself your beverage of choice, and let's get to it. met today's guest when I was invited to sit in on the class he was teaching at NYU on the metaverse and Web3 business. He knew I was, to say the least, apprehensive. I had already written a blog post on why I don't want to live in the metaverse, and I told him so. Mark said he was challenged and assured me I would change my mind. Now, I can't say that at the end of that class, I was ready to move into the metaverse, but my eyes were opened. In fact, I was so impressed with the approach he is taking with all of this new technology that I wanted to learn more. And so I invited him to be on the podcast. Mark Beckman is a founder, partner, and CEO of DMA United, a branding and representation firm, the author of the Comprehensive Guide to NFTs, Digital Artwork, and Blockchain Technology, and a senior fellow at NYU's Metaverse Lab. In other words, he is super smart when it comes to AI and might just convince you, as he has me, that for as much doomsday talk as there is around this subject, there is also a world of creative possibility. So without further ado, I give you my conversation with Mark Beckman. Hello, Mark. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Joanne. Thank you for having me today. I appreciate it. Well, I'm really looking forward to this conversation because there's so much to talk about, and hopefully we'll stick to at least the main subjects here. But can we start with just a little bit about where you're from? That's a question I like to ask all of my guests. Sure. Um, I was raised here in, in New York. I'm from Long Island, specifically a town named Belmore. Um, it's on the south shore of Long Island, and um, now I live in Manhattan. I've lived here for quite some time. I live here with my family. We work here. Uh, the kids go to school here, so we're you know, real New Yorkers. <laughs> real New Yorkers, that you are. Um, you wear <laughs> You wear a lot of hats. You're the founder of DMA United, the author of the Comprehensive Guide to NFTs, digital artwork, and blockchain technology. You teach at NYU, which is how we cross paths, and you serve as the senior fellow for NYU's Metaverse Lab. But where I'd like to start is with DMA United, which I understand is an advertising representation agency that focuses on branding, creative, and business development. That, if I'm correct, you founded in 1994. Yep, so DMA United is um, an amazing agency we've we've won several awards but the thing that really sets us apart from the rest of the pack is that our focus is on style and design and what we've done over time with this concentration is built what i refer to as this global polycultural platform where we sit at the center of style and design and then we extend into fashion art music sports and entertainment. 
And naturally, as a small agency pushing up against the WPP and Omnicoms of the world, we try to um, use technology to benefit our clients, to really add a ton of value to our clients. So, you know, we've been ahead of the curve as it relates to these types of scenarios. And, you know, our client roster is um, illustrious. Like over time, we've been fortunate to work with Tom Ford, Carl Lagerfeld, Sony Music, Warner Brothers, Pepsi, uh, Nelson Mandela, and the NBA. So we've done some real great work, but always through the lens of superior style and design. So is, because that's when I was, I was doing my research, I'm like, well, 1994, there wasn't even Web 1 then, or barely Web 1, it was just kind of becoming a thing. And yet now we're in Web 3, which I do want you to talk about. And somehow or other, with this, you wound up down this path of the metaverse, NFTs, and blockchain technology to the point where you've actually written a book about it. So can you talk about a little bit about how that happened? Joanne, it's interesting that you're connecting um, the first part of the internet, what we're referring to as Web 1 with Web 3, because in many ways, I see um, parallels, right? I've, I've oh. aged up a little bit. So <laughs> I remember uh, a time in the agency where... Um, we were creating campaigns for, you might remember that brand Esprit. Yes, um, I do. We were doing creative campaigns for Esprit and we were so excited. They were allowing for us to do their catalog. And um, all of a sudden we became very, very busy with building websites, right? So that, so that brands could get into quote unquote, the internet. And um my business partner and I always felt that we still needed to make that strong emotional connection with the consumer, whether it was, you know, the catalog medium or a digital medium with, you know, web one. Um, and even still today, we see this um, similarity with regards to web three uh, brands and entities, individuals, um, policymakers and beyond are, are rushing to take advantage of this new decentralized technology. Um, for us, it's just another medium. Um, it's still our goal is to create very rich storytelling, emotional connections between the brand and the consumers that build brand equity, sales, and brand awareness. That's still our goal. So regardless of the medium, we're still doing the same thing that we've been doing for you know three decades, but um, we're just moving forward as technology advances. So in many ways, we're back where we started with regards to the internet. We're just doing it on top of different technologies. And that brings us into you know, spaces where we're on the blockchain in Web3, we're off blockchain in metaverse and gaming platforms um, like Roblox, Minecraft, Fortnite, Zepetto, and then um, I'm sure we'll get into it in a little while, but we're using artificial intelligence to help our brand clients um, optimize their revenue generation, building brand awareness, and other aspects of their worlds. All right. I don't even know where to go with this right now because there's so much in here. But one, it's interesting because as soon as you started to say this, I just said, literally said this to my students on Tuesday that what we still do in marketing is still the same thing we've always been doing. It's just that the tools are different. You know, we're still trying to reach people. We're still human beings trying to reach other people. But I want to step back here for a second, because I think we throw out this name, these terms, Web3 and NFTs and blockchain. And 
I think even people who are in what we do aren't really 100% sure what all of these things mean, but you are the expert. So could you just give us a little bit of definitions here for those who may not understand what Web3 even is? Sure. I'll keep it really simple for your audience today. Um, let's start with the consumer and an individual's data. When uh, an individual is operating in um, the more traditional, um, let's say, Web2 platform today, right? So we might want to go shopping, you and I, in you know Nike or Bergdorf Goodman. Um, when we go there, they're essentially those entities have access to our data, each individual's data. Um, and the big companies, the big temp tech companies, uh, similar to Google and Amazon, by way of example, they're the ones that are really capturing our data. So there are some phenomenal numbers, um, Joanne, like on any given day, you might not realize this, but if you have an iPhone, Apple is capturing uh, over 200 data points from you um, every single hour. They're looking at who you're calling, where you're standing, who you're emailing, which websites you're visiting, and they're trading off of all of that information. They know when you're waking up. They know when you're grabbing a coffee at Starbucks and beyond. And what happens in Web3 is the, the control over the, those aspects of your life, of the consumer's life, are pulled back to the consumer. It allows for a certain level of privacy, which I think before we know it will be monetizable for the consumer too. So rather than Google going out and selling your um, information uh, as it relates to these various data points, now you'll be able to monetize if you want those data points too. That's part of what's important. For brands though, it's a little bit different. What Web3 does for a brand is it allows for um, content to be created. This is again, just one element of mm -hmm. it, but let's say content is created, created, um, and it um, allows for, once that content is created, it allows for the brand to prove that that content is authentic. It's from the creator, which is very important proof of, of um, authenticity. It will allow for provenance. So um, it will uh, push back against fakes in, in, a, in, a, in a very meaningful way. Um, it also allows for creators of that content to be protected um, and to monetize their ideas. Let's say it's um, a beautiful image, a piece of artwork, a beautiful song. They could control um, their intellectual property and um, monetize it in a way that's ongoing. So there are a lot of benefits to Web3. However, it's still very early on in the process. Um, everybody was excited during you know the, the 2020 um, uh, bull market, really, when we saw things like um, pieces of artwork being sold as an NFT for sixty nine right. million dollars, um, <laughs> which is you know everybody chased the the silver object, and that's wonderful. But use applications today that are utility based for brands are a lot more powerful. So think in terms of like loyalty and rewards programs. Some of the best um, loyalty programs, consumer-facing loyalty programs, including InBev, Starbucks, and Nike, have already started to activate in Web3. So that underscores the point that although we're in the beginning of this Web3 moment, 
I think it's only a matter of time until we see mass user adoption. The technology will continue to grow. It will continue to become easier for people to get involved and um, take advantage of all of the benefits that come with a decentralized ledger in the form of a blockchain. So that's that's Web3. I don't know if that if it's clear. No, it's I think I think it's really clear. I think you really did a great job explaining that. And I again, I know more than I let on about this stuff. But I I think that you really did you did a great job there. So it's the blockchain technology that is actually helping to keep this secure, so to speak. Entirely. Um, so, like layer one on you know Web three really consists of blockchain technology, cryptocurrency, digital wallets. And of course, NFTs, right? That's your, your baseline. But now we're expanding beyond that. And what's exciting is that certain companies, I mentioned Nike, for example, mm -hmm. have um, built out Web3 programs with dot swoosh, for example, um, that expand beyond the blockchain. So they're looking at metaverse, um, off-chain metaverse activations in the gaming realm. They're also integrating um, a community that will interface with Web3 and the metaverse in the physical realm. So pushing people into their stores for education, participation, and of course, purchasing product. So it's, it's an exciting time when you see brands leveraging all of these new technologies and then bouncing back into the physical brick and, and mortar world. Well, see, I was gonna bring that up a little bit, but you already brought it up because it's interesting. I've been reading, it seems lately, I've been reading a lot about how brands are trying to get people back into the stores, that people want to be there, that the purchases will be higher if someone's actually physically in a store. But you actually already answered that question that the smart ones are figuring out ways to make it seamless between both. It's an exciting time. Um, admittedly, it's it's not as seamless as I think brands hope for. It's a little mm -hmm. clunky still, mm -hmm. but things could be done in the metaverse, either on-chain or off-chain, to drive people back into the store. So beyond loyalty programs, we could see, for example, a live concert um, activate mm -hmm. in the gaming metaverse in Fortnite. Travis Scott did this, for example. It was a huge success. When Travis activated, he generated over $20 million in revenue in 20 minutes. Um, and he had about 12 million people um, view his concert. But you can imagine an artist activating with a brand, let's say Gucci, for example. Um, come attend our live concert in the metaverse, meet and greet the artist. If you come, you're given um, an NFT in the form of a POAP, a proof of attendance protocol, essentially a concert ticket, right? And if you bring that NFT into our Gucci store down in Soho, the brick and mortar store, you'll be able to, and only you, you'll be able to purchase our physical Travis Scott concert t-shirt. So there are ways that um, a customer can have a more emotional connection with the brand and then also monetize um, those moments in time. By the way, digitally too, right? They could mm -hmm. buy digital apparel to, to wear to the concert and then go back into the physical brick and mortar store and take advantage of new product launches, exclusive collaborations, new partnerships and beyond. So, you know, when it, the listeners don't know this, but when you and I first met, I had a very well, I'll say not great opinion of the metaverse, but you have been changing it and all of this new stuff. I just want you to know that you're you're doing a very convincing job over here. Um, so let's talk about um, AI because, you know, a lot of people, I don't, 
I don't think realize that we've been using AI. It's been part of our lives for a while. But this new version, this generative AI is what's really changing the game. How does that all fit in? Because if the blockchain technology, if I understand it, is helping to secure this content at the same time, generative AI is creating off of other content, if I'm understanding it all correctly. So how does this all intersect? So it's actually a very exciting time uh, to be alive, really. Um, and a lot of that is because of artificial intelligence. Um, to your point, it's interesting. There's a tension, an inherent tension that you're pointing out between blockchain technology, which is decentralized and controlled, if you think about it, from the bottom up, mm -hmm. right, from the people creating, pushing up, versus a lot of these large language models um, and generative AI platforms now that you're seeing, whether it's open AI or, you know, the great work that's coming through um, Microsoft and, and Google, um, where it's centralized and pushing down, right? So there's an inherent tension there. Um, that's being, that issue is being resolved. I don't want to get too techy here, but mm -hmm. that issue is being resolved um, with the technologies. So for example, we're um, we're we're approaching the election season again, and I think that we're going to see a lot of deep fake campaigns that oh, are sure. going to hit the marketplace, right? I agree. And it's problematic. It could be really problematic because how do people distinguish whether or not the content that they're watching about a maybe a, a candidate that they actually thought they liked, but they don't like the content they're seeing, um, is real? So what's happening now is um, blockchain technology. And Web3 is offering a solution to this, um, which is um, something very, very interesting. Um, zero knowledge privacy um, allows for um, content to be proven as authentic on the blockchain, which is fantastic. It's a fantastic way of um, proving that um, a, a candidate is creating content and it wasn't created in, in artificial intelligence. So that's an exciting thing. But more exciting is the power that artificial intelligence is bringing to the creative classes right now. And I think that's a fun topic to speak with you on this show, particularly for people that love marketing. So you can imagine being able to go into a platform like Midjourney or Dolly2 and text prompting um, a, you know, to develop a new product. We just did this. We just had it last week, a, a five-day NYU Artificial Intelligence Forum. And for two days, we taught the students actually how to use Midjourney. And our students created everything from Nike cleats to bottles of wine and beautiful installations for an individual's home. They created this in a matter of two days, but they were able to text prompt and create product that um, they would not have been able to create otherwise, right? And you could do this now in a matter of minutes. Well, this is really powerful and it will disrupt a lot of our creative legacy areas. Think in terms of Hollywood, publishing, think in terms of the fashion industry, music right now, currently, right now, as we're sitting here and talking, everyone can go and create in these areas. So no longer do you need to be trained um, in, in a more formal way. You can actually create some um, beautiful imagery 
and uh, beautiful music. You can develop characters and and script writing and beyond, and and even create a film if you wanted to. You know, put together Mid Journey with Runway and Eleven Labs, where you could do voiceovers. Really, really incredible stuff is available today, right now. So I think that the legacy businesses are going to um, see a rise of the new creator, um, and it's going to give great opportunity for the next generation for people that are embracing artificial intelligence to create original content and then sell it. And they could protect their intellectual property and monetize it by securing it in the form of an NFT on the blockchain. And remember, an NFT could hold an entire, you and I could create our own movie today, literally (laughs) using artificial intelligence. And then we could protect our intellectual property through the use of a smart contract that's embedded in the NFT and permanently minted on blockchain. We can then sell that and promote it as we like through social media. Joy, and I see like a certain type of triangle occurring now mm-hmm. in the future of marketing where you can leverage your um, communications and community through social media at the top of the triangle. And then you could create art of using artificial intelligence, original content. Um, again, it could be a movie, it could be a fashion collection, whatever it is. And then you could protect that um, content that you create through the use of Web3 technology, blockchain, NFT, and beyond. So it's an int- it's a very exciting time. Think about like if you're that 18-year-old dreamer in you know, the Bronx and you don't have a chance to go to New York University for one reason or another, but you want to be you know, the next Steven Spielberg, you can actually do it now. You can actually do it. Um, I, I, it really becomes a matter of education. You clearly know a lot more than your average person does. That's why you wrote a whole book on this. <laughs> And I, I would like to talk about that a little bit because you, in the book, and well, you're kind of actually already answering this. I wanted to ask you how technology can change fashion, sports, and, uh, sports fine arts, and even social justice. But you have kind of touched on that without giving too much away because we do want people to buy your book. Well, let's start with, I, I like the idea this morning of uh, starting with um, social justice or pro-social initiatives. Um, it's a nice time to talk about it. Our agency, I think I had mentioned to you, we've been working with Nelson Mandela's family for years. And actually this winter we're we're launching the magnum opus of Nelson Mandela's life. It's a book that we've created with his oldest living child, Maki Mandela, oh, wow. and Rizzoli's launching it. But imagine if we wanted to have a charitable overlay connected to the sale of that book to fight... Um, different issues, uh, racism, or, you know, I don't know if you're aware, Nelson Mandela was actually a big advocate for gender equality. Yes. Um, it was actually, he was amazing, really at the forefront. So let's say we wanted to, to help those issues, right? And donate a portion of the proceeds um, to uh, those causes for, for uh, to combat racism and, and to fight um, for gender equality. What's wonderful about Web3 technology is that we can build out an NFT with a smart contract that allows for the 501c3 named beneficiary for the um, portion of the proceeds derived from the sale of the book to receive those monies in real time. So what does that mean? Well, now let's take it a little further and think in terms of like times of disaster, right? Like maybe Hawaii is still top of mind. I know that that there's that's been an unfortunate, mm-hmm. terrible situation and people are still missing and they need resources. Their homes have been burned, lives are, are displaced, they need resources. 
Well, typically what would happen is money is raised and it's put into a 501c3. And it sounds like it takes two, three months to get the monies from the the, um, centralized 501c3 to the people that actually need the money. Well, now in real time, because of the disbursement of the cryptocurrency, um, individuals can have access to the funds immediately, right? Immediately when that book is sold, let's say. Um, And that's a real game changer. We've seen that in Ukraine as well. Ukraine's done an amazing global fundraiser as it relates to act, you know accessing cryptocurrency in real time and dispersing monies um you know in areas within the country that are needed so from a social justice perspective the technology is really really impactful and it's a game changer and again i think it's these utilities right that that kick up uh the use of new technologies it's amazing i'm just amazed at how much stuff is inside of your head over there because um <laughs> <laughs> You're really helping to um, to uh, to make this a little bit more simple than I think what it is. Are there? I know you've collaborated with the, you. You spoke about Nelson Mandela already, but is there anything else in terms of the collaborations your agency has done to leverage this stuff for branding and marketing? Yeah, I appreciate it. We've done some amazing work um, to date as it relates to Web three specifically. We've built seven NFT marketplaces including, by the way, Art Lab, which is for New York University. Um, It's specifically to promote from within students, academics, um, faculty, and alumni. And um, Art Lab is fantastic. It really showcases uh, the tremendous work um, from students from Tisch and beyond. It's really, really incredible. Um, We've also onboarded more than a hundred different individuals and brands into the space today, including, you know, the NARS Cosmetics Genesis collection and some recent work that I'm proud of with cities, specifically Washington, D.C., where we initiated a pro-social program to fight um, urban decay, blight, um, in neighborhoods that need to be um, rejuvenated. So what we did was we created a, a, almost like a circular economy, Joanne, where we have local artists from the DC area that created artwork. The artwork was placed in these neighborhoods suffering of blight in a physical way. They were put on buildings that were perhaps vacated, that had um drug users in them and other bad things happening there. So the physical artwork is in the physical neighborhood. And then we sold that physical artwork in the form of digital artwork vis-a-vis an NFT. And the monies that were um, uh, derived from the sale of the digital artwork were then put back into Washington, D.C., as well as some of the artists, by the way, to help combat urban blight again. And this was all orchestrated in tandem with um, the mayor, Mayor Bowser, with her with her office, uh, the mayor of Washington, D.C. So it's a it's a pretty compelling business model. And I think that uh, more cities will get involved in these types of um, pro-social initiatives where they could leverage technology to their benefit um, over the, over the long term, Do you ever sleep, Mark? Because there's, you're obviously involved in so many things. Joanne, I don't sleep, (laughs) (laughs) but it's an exciting time. Like I said to you, it's really an exciting time to be alive. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, I feel very fortunate. Um, you must feel this way too. Like you're, you're a curious person and it pushes you forward to learn and, and come, you know, to challenge yourself regularly. And, 
you know, I'm fortunate in that way uh, to have a, a small agency. We have about 30 people all over the world now working for us, like literally all over the planet. Um, but we could be innovative. We could be creative. And, and mm-hmm. you know, we're still curious as adults. And I'm sure you agree. Like in our generation, we we have a lot of, I'm sure you have a lot of friends that just they're aren't not as curious, curious as they're you. Not, they're not so curious anymore. It, it slows down. And I agree. I couldn't agree with you more because to me, I, I think it's the... Um, it's the secret sauce to staying young is staying curious because there's always something new to learn. As soon as you think, as soon as you stop being curious, I don't know. I think you start watching Fox news all day. I think that's what happens, but, <laughs> um, but I do, I, I real, and I just, I think it's a much more um, pleasant and engaging way to go through life. It's just, you know, it's just, I've always been like that. Now it's just a little bit easier because I literally don't have to go to a library to to dig into things. I can just go to my computer and find out more more stuff. Well, and, um, well isn't and that, that incredible though? And, like- and, be, and I'm fortunate to have people because of the university, I'll put a plug in here for NYU, that I get to meet people like yourself who are also in that space and are doing, mm-hmm. uh, continuing to do and to explore. But isn't it amazing? Like, think back. Um, you know, I was telling uh, some students last week when we were when we were when I was hosting the NYU Artificial Intelligence Forum how if I wanted to access information, um, even when I was in law school, I would have to go and and you know go to the library physically, look at a card catalog, and hope the book was there. If it wasn't there, I would have to figure out another way to access that information. Back then, I only had an email address that was used within the university. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I graduated law school, I had to give the email address and everything back to the university. <laughs> um, but now think about how hypercharged this next technology, this next generation will be as it relates to curious people that want to access knowledge, right? Like yes. what happens to this next generation? If you're a 15 year old, um, you know, TED Talks might be exciting, but GPT-4 could give me a solution solution to, you know, how to launch my own fashion brand in literally a matter of seconds. So it's, it's an amazing time to be alive if you really think about it. No, and I, I agree with that. And I think also in line with staying curious is, I was talking about this with my students this week, is really learning to ask the right questions. You know, that because it, things like chat GPT are only going to be as good as the questions that you ask it. So again, that kind of pokes into the whole curiosity, kind of all connects with each other because if you're not curious you tend not to be asking a lot of questions but the level of questions and the depth of those questions is going to get the most out of this that's the way i understand it and again you are the expert on that field and i'm just um figuring out ways uh, that i can use it for my own benefit you're 100 percent right but there's another limitation too which is how these large language models are being trained so mm-hmm. what's going to happen, and it's going to be exciting, I think, for somebody like you, too, um, uh, the large language models, think of it as a generalized amount of information, right? And um, I keep using this term like garbage in, garbage out. If it's mm-hmm. trained in a way that's biased, then the large language model is going to be biased. If it's trained in a way where they're not using all of the information available, right? Like perhaps they're not including information from a market that they don't like, like Asia, like China specifically, right? Then the whole story is not there. So now there are are these, think of like um, almost like a localized um, model that's being trained for very specific business sectors. This is happening, for example, in law, where Harvey AI is being trained only to understand legal issues and legal matters. 
Well, that I think is going to be really compelling for the legal community in um, a lot of different ways, because theoretically, less garbage will go in. And as a result, <laughs> less garbage will come out. So these specialized AI tools are going to come into play. So if you, you know, if you love marketing and you want the, the you know, a very, you know, uh, productive access to information, a great tool, there's going to be a marketing specific type of AI that you'll be able to use. Same thing for fashion, for dance, for education and beyond. So right now we're using these you know, very big generalized tools. And there's a long way to go as it relates to how these models are trained. One last, oh, actually two last questions before we get into my little um, lightning round here. Privacy and security. How do we mitigate this? I mean, blockchain is one way, but again, the AI portion, that's the part of the this new generative AI that scares me is is how we mitigate these these security concerns. Yeah, you know, I have to tell you, honestly, it's a real concern and it's popping up in places where even I don't expect. Um, by way of example, yesterday, I needed to put a client's um, audio transcript. I wanted to, I wanted to transcri transcribe um, an audio, uh, a lengthy tape that I had of a client um, for purposes of creating an ad campaign. And I didn't want um, the the entity that I was using, the platform that I was using to own that content, to see or, or hear that content, to have any access to it. So I went into their, um, I never do this either, Joanne, but it's like, it's on my mind. So I went into their rules of engagement. I looked at their privacy policy. And in fact, it stated in no uncertain terms that any content that you put into the platform, uh, they can use. Yeah. They can actually use the content for advertising, et cetera. So could you imagine like a private conversation that I had with my clients that I just wanted to transcribe, like all of a sudden can show up in an ad campaign worldwide? That's wild. So I didn't use the service nonetheless. So, you know, we're, I think there's a generational issue with regards to privacy too. Yes, it I seems like too. my generation and older, like we're a little bit more private. I don't want everybody knowing everything about me. My 15 year old son is like mind blowing. He's just like gives all of his information to the entire world. He won't say his name on Minecraft, but everything else is fair game. It's the most bizarre thing. So there are going to be certain um, issues that we're surrounding right now as it relates to privacy concerns, but we have to be more vigilant as people. And there are tools, there are new tools, um, you know, uh, for example, on the Web3 side of the equation, it's very exciting. Um, no longer do you really need, if you think about it, to use your government-issued name and your government-issued ID if you're buying a car, a house, a boat. Um, we can now use uh, zero-knowledge proofs to um, hide the identity of the individual making the purchase, verify that that individual is who she says she is, and prove that they're solvent through the use of blockchain technology, and then the, the transaction could occur. So if you look at zero-knowledge proofs, there's a lot of um, activity around this concert, concept right now, and that's going to be a great tool in Web3 in protecting um, your data, your individual data. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Okay. So it could be pseudonymous, right? Like the, mm -hmm. the concept of pseudonymy is going to come out in a big way. Like why, like why does anybody need to know that Joanne owns this house? There's really no reason for it anymore. You can have a, you could go in privately and 
buy that home and not have your name attached to it for the world to see. That might be a good thing for people. Um, you know, like think about a high profile individual in government or a celebrity that might be mm-hmm. vulnerable to stalking or, you know, anything like that. Right. This. Something like that. And then again, you know, I I was like yourself, no doubt, a big proponent of all of the web and social media when it first started, but it never in my wildest dreams it did it occur to me that in the hands of bad actors, bad things can happen. So I guess there's the two sides on that, but which I think could happen if I can't prove who owns this house. Well, then who actually owns it? it there could be, I don't know. I guess my my mind keeps going to the crazy because we've seen a lot of crazy with the technology as well as really great things. Yeah, I think in many ways it, it might get worse before it gets better. <laughs> So right. what what advice would you give to a brand who wants to experiment in these arenas outside of calling uh, your agency? <laughs> so um, what I think, um, I, like, obviously, I think there's a tremendous amount of value in all of these mm-hmm. technologies right now. I think brands need to be open-minded and um, evolve, test. They don't need to re, you know, they don't need to go into a full revolution. I wouldn't take 100% of my marketing budget and go all into Fortnite right now. But (laughs) I do think it's worth noting that when Mattel, before the movie, when Mattel launched the Barbie dream house in Roblox, in a 30-day period, they were able to attract 7 million users, you know, in the swimming pool, in the DJ booth, and Mm -hmm. excuse me, 70, almost 70 million users. And each user went in and participated with the brand for about seven minutes. That's a lot more beneficial than a YouTube video that speaks at that audience and maybe, you know, has a quarter of a million downloads or so. So I would look at those case studies, see what's interesting, see what's working and start testing. It doesn't need to be a full revolution. Mm -hmm. Artificial intelligence in the marketing space, like, again, um, our agency uses a lot of this, Joanne, so I don't don't mean to come across as uh, selling, but like we've just built something called Fashion AI. And it's not a sexy uh, product, but it's a very useful product. What we do is we look at problems along the customer journey from when she doesn't realize like she learns that at the campaign level and she's learning that she wants the product all the way to post-product acquisition and returns. And we use artificial intelligence to empower the executive management team, CEO, CMO, to have access to data in real time. So they don't have to wait now for the wow. data scientists to come in 30, 60 days, and they can make decisions in real time. This is not an expensive tool, and it could level the playing field against these bigger companies that are analyzing five to six data sets in a matter of days, right? So there is some great technology out there, but I think it's um, an allocation of small amount of allocation of resources to test and try to start. I feel so enlightened today. Okay. I I just want to finish up with a quick little lightning round of questions. So we'll just change the whole tone right now to favorite social network. If you, I don't even know if you have time to do that, but do you have a favorite social network? Yeah, my, so just, is this personal or professional? Whatever you'd like to do. Yeah, personally, I like LinkedIn the most. I Mm -hmm. find it to be the most engaging as it relates to um, finding relevant business articles and and topics that I'm curious about surrounding, you know, advertising and technology and and finance and law. Um, From a marketing perspective, you know, this is professionally speaking, 
Now, I think the, um, you know, TikTok is just way mm-hmm. ahead of everybody in ways that people don't even realize yet. Um, so, you know, I don't even look at TikTok as a social media vertical anymore. I think it's a media period, like a media platform. And no, I think it's and very it's, important. It's, it's interesting because I, I happen to like TikTok a lot. I have never posted a video on TikTok to date, but I consume a lot of TikTok and I think there's that's the thing that I think makes it so much more unique than the other social networks is that a lot of people are like me because I do these polls all the time. And it's not just an age thing because I see it with my young students too. Oh yeah, I just watch it. I just, I don't post. So it's kind of an interesting, interesting twist. Joanne, TikTok, TikTok is getting more views um, now and more engagement than Hulu. Yes. So think about like if you're a brand, Crazy. right? If you're Nike and you put a video out, you know, did Nike get more value out of that new movie surrounding um, Air Jordan and that whole storyline? Or do they get more um, access and value through TikTok? Probably TikTok, right? Well, I'm right there with you. You're not going to, you don't have to convince me on that one. Something people would never guess about you. Um, I really like to be alone. <laughs> I don't <laughs> want to be with anyone. Um, I enjoy my alone time. Um, it gives me a sense of calmness. I like to get out into the city alone when it's still dark out. The first one in the morning is me and the people that are still left over from the night before. I love that. Last series you binged? God, I am such, I really, this is so embarrassing, Joanne. I watch such garbage. So right now I'm watching The Gemstones. Have you heard of this? No, I haven't, but I am all for watching some of the stuff that I watch, no one would believe, but the world's so crazy that I kind of, I don't want to watch anything that's going to make my anxiety go up. If I want that, I can watch the news. So I agree. So I'm with you on that. So like, I actually want to escape. It's like another form of escape. So it's, um, you got to check it out. It's called uh, the gemstones. It's like just pure slapstick. Danny McBride created it. I don't know if you know him, but it's, um, it's a, it's an amazing cast. Actually, if you take a look at it, you'll see. Um, but embarrassingly I am deep into the gemstones right now. Okay. Last book you read outside of your so own, this- you can plug your own book right now. No. So this summer I went into um, a a deep dive into what 60s and 70s radical culture was like. So I read a book um, named Chaos, which was really surrounding um, Los Angeles in the um, 60s and 70s. And there were stories about, you know, the Charles Manson murders, um, the FBI, the hippie culture and beyond. So that was a very interesting uh, interesting book. I definitely would highly recommend it. So you like my my diversity here. I go from the, the gemstones to like chaos. <laughs> I was just going to say that kind of balances out the gemstones. A food you can't live without. Oh my God, I'm going through such a fat stage right now. Um, <laughs> it's out of control. I'm the only person that like bulks up during the summer. So I would have to say um, a food that I cannot live without. Can I, could it be a drink? Like I'm an espresso yeah. guy, espresso. Sure. I love, I love good quality espresso, but it's got to really be good quality espresso. Good quality espresso. I thought you were going to say an espresso martini. Um, and what motivates you to get up in the morning? Um, I am a person that just loves building. Um, I, I love the challenge. I love overcoming challenges. I like that sense of accomplishment. But at the end of the day, my wife and two children are paramount. So they're the ones that I keep building for. Oh, love that. Love that. Love that. Um, we People can find you. I will put all the links in the show notes. Where would you suggest is best? 
Yeah. So um, people can look at, I think my, my um, handle is the same on Instagram and Twitter. It's always Mark Beckman, M-A-R-C-B-E-C-K-M-A-N. And I'm on you know, all the social channels. Yes. And I will put the links to all of those and the link to your book, which can be bought on Amazon and any of, I'm sure any other friendly bookstore, retailer, any place. Thank you so much. This has just been fantastic. I feel a little bit on overload. I think I'm going to have to listen to this three times to make sure I got everything in there. But thank you so much for your your um, wisdom and expertise today. Joanne, really, it's a pleasure. Um, I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Marketing Mindfulness and Martinis. If you liked what you heard, please share with your friends. Give us a rating on iTunes or Spotify so other people can find us and hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. If you've got a question you'd like answered or a topic you'd like me to cover, please drop me a note. Info at joannetombrakis.com. And until next time, remember... Whatever got you to where you are isn't enough to keep you there.